0: Good morning. Our first reading this morning is from the Old Testament, Exodus 16, 1-8, if you would like to read along with me. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came onto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at the even, Then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. The second reading this morning is in John 630 to 40. If you would like to turn your Bibles to that. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me,
1: If you're like me and you go to a good restaurant, it's very likely that you're full before your food really arrives. Because if you're like me, that little basket of bread, especially if it's accompanied by real creamery butter, is the ticket and you eat it More maybe than you should. And the real food comes and how do you feel? Well you eat that too and then you're really full. But it doesn't matter what culture we're talking about, does it? Bread is universal. How many of you like Ethiopian food? You know what? i got to tell you, if you'd all eaten it, you'd almost all raise your hands. If you don't like spicy stuff or flavorful stuff, you won't like this. But Ethiopian food is fabulous. I mean, I never knew there was such a thing as Ethiopian food when I was a kid because all I saw was these pictures of starving children in Ethiopia. It's terrible to say that. Terrible. But really, I mean, I, I I just envisioned this horribly impoverished land and people and instead they're they're an absolutely gorgeous people with an incredible land and they have a, a magnificent cuisine and they make a sort of sour spongy bread and they literally eat with their fingers they take the bread and they use it to scoop up these wonderful morsels of well of indescribable delicacies really uh, meat dishes vegetarian dishes Uh, all sorts of flavors that you're just not accustomed to. And if you do it true Ethiopian style, eating around a table, they never feed themselves. They feed the other next to them. It's wonderfully intimate and wonderfully warm, but it's about bread. You never eat an Ethiopian meal without bread. Go to an Indian place. Garlic naan. Who likes garlic naan? Three people. Okay. Gotta work on. Potluck committee, we're gonna be working on our diversity. <laughs> over the net, anyway. Um, yeah, Indians have a, an amazing variety of breads. They have crispy hard breads that are kind of like crackers. They have softer breads, puffy breads. They're all oven-baked. They flavor them different ways. You can get full on that stuff too with the little chutney dips and the little yogurt dips and stuff before your food really comes. Amazing stuff. Now, I'm guessing all of you have had Mexican food. Okay, I finally got your number. California, I should have figured. Yes, tortillas are what? They're bread. Traditional ones are corn, but they also have flour. And these handmade ones are far better than anything you buy pressed in the store. In fact, someday, if you're interested, we'll just get a small group and we'll go right down to Old Town, San Diego. We'll watch the ladies make them, and we'll eat them right there on the spot with real fresh creamery butter. Yes, I agree with uh, Queen Latifah and Chef Didier. Butter is the secret of life. We have our own versions, don't we? How many of you and your kids like that King's Hawaiian bread? You know, I heard gasps out there. <gasps> oh yeah, I really like that. That's bread with sugar. That's bread on steroids right there. That's an amazing that's good stuff right there. You just eat that. It doesn't matter if you have butter with that bread. You can just and then if you really want to be unhealthy, take your King's Hawaiian bread, dip it in egg, and make French toast.
0: Ooh.
1: Now all of you are starting to look at your watches and say, Will he ever quit this sermon? And I haven't even gotten to the sermon yet. But I'm making the point that bread is really something that is integral to all of our culture's cuisines. Everybody has some version of it. It is what we call a staple. It's one of those things made possible in an agrarian society where we could grow wheat or whatever the grain was in large enough quantities to grind it down into a meal add a little bit of oil, a little bit of water, a little bit of yeast, and make something nutritious and tasty and life-giving out of it. You see, it never ceases to amaze me the ways in which biblical illustrations, and in fact most of the things in our language, are connected deeply to the life cycle or the physical. A lot of our language about experience is rooted in the physicality of our bodies. And when we describe making a living, one of the ways we say we make money is to say, I earn the bread, or I am a bread winner. Have you heard that phrase? We refer to money as dough, don't we? And dough is that thing we bake into bread. Our very idea of currency, which has to do with that which helps us sustain life. You realize that, don't you? Money is worthless. It's paper. You can't eat it. I guess you could do a few things with it, but it's really, there's not a lot to do with money. It's a societal contract, really, a universal contract of value that says... This amount of money will buy this many goods and services. Money is life for us. But in the currency of the language of our past and our our farming societies, bread is life. We trade our money, our time for bread. Jesus acknowledges this very fundamental truth, doesn't he? as he teaches us to pray. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Ah, One of the very top tier requests. Lord God, we acknowledge to you today that we need physical sustenance. We acknowledge to you this day that we need to eat. We acknowledge that you are the provider. Because as we start to read more in Scripture, particularly in the parables... We see not a society in which they had learned to divert great lakes of water or build reservoirs and dams or uh, create streams that were actually canals that would flow into farming country and turn vast areas of desert into rice and wheat and cotton and other producing lands. We're talking about a society in Christ's time that had rudimentary irrigation in delta areas. Or in river areas, but otherwise depended on rain. So This deep connection to the land and to the cycles of weather and the crops that would be grown, and how they would be milled and ground into grain, ground into flowers, and the, those flowers of various varieties would become the staples on which life was built. If you love bread, there's a reason. So we come to the spiritual in this sort of beginning of fall, this harvest time, this, this time of um, well, none of us are really harvesting that I know of. Uh, any of any farmers here in Santa Clarita? Not one. Um, yeah, we're we're in a different society. That's something that is specialized and outside of our immediate worlds, but it's very real. There's a whole group of a whole segment of, of the country that's that's harvesting. They're taking all of this bounty in. And it's being converted into life for a vast number of human beings. So we come to our texts, and it's interesting the way in which the whole notion, the whole idea of bread translates spiritually. In our first reading, we find a people, the Old Testament reading, Exodus 16, we find a people who have managed, under Moses' leadership, to escape Egypt. And they're in those years of wandering in the desert. And they've come to that place of self-pity. A place I think many of us arrive at regularly. Don't raise your hands. Been to self-pity? All of us have. And in the land of self-pity, they're thinking to themselves, what a drag. Who is this guy, Moses, who brings us out into the wilderness to starve us to death? There's nothing out here. I don't see anything to eat. Do you see anything to eat? What about the stuff you brought with you from Egypt? Is it holding up? No, it's pretty much gone. How about you? Yeah, what are we supposed to do? Eat the dog? can't do that it's unclean wasn't good and they start to complain and murmur they're hungry and Moses goes to God and God says to Moses relax i'm going to send bread later he'll send quail it's going to send bread every night bread will fall from heaven manna the Israelites will gather it first thing in the morning and it will last through the three meals of the day. And on Friday a double portion, a blessing of manna will fall that it may be gathered, may be gathered and prepared and it will keep even in the desert climate through Friday into Saturday. It won't mold or spoil. That will be God's blessing. And through Saturday, the three meals will be provided. The Sabbath day will be provided for. As a true day of rest, not even will the Israelites be required to gather this bread. So it's really wonderful how the Sabbath concept, the concept of God's gift to us of time, the concept of a day that is made for us, this gift that has been given... This understanding God had of His creation that we couldn't go seven days of the week and thrive or even really survive, that we were going to need a break. This Sabbath rest is built right into the cycle of life-giving sustenance. Bread. We sing about it. Bread of heaven. We talk about the manna in children's Sabbath schools. We have... Vegetarian wheat products named after manna. We have all sorts of references to this bread that comes from God, from heaven. And the Israelites are sustained by the bread of heaven and the quail that are driven into the camp by the winds. The people eat. They were missing the flesh pots of of Egypt, they were missing a life that they now are imagining. Have you ever looked back on a relatively crummy time and sort of glorified it in your mind to being better than it was because where you think you are now couldn't possibly be worse? You ever been there? I see a few of you laughing, so I think you know what that's about. Really, I mean, they were working themselves to death. The brick demand of Egypt was enormous. The quarry demands were enormous. They were really being driven. They were, they were not particularly well cared for. When they had been there under Joseph and were living in the land of Goshen, they had been given the very best of the land of Egypt. They were farming it. They had cattle. They had sheep. They were their own people. They were allowed to worship their God, and they were growing so rapidly that the Egyptians began to fear them. They were prospering so much that the Egyptians wondered if they wouldn't take over, and they were foreigners, not in their homeland and they became slaves. And I imagine as slaves, the rations weren't all that. And I'm guessing the food wasn't the best of quality either. And I'm imagining that it wasn't always the freshest or the cleanest or the purest. And they're looking back and saying, oh, if we could go back to the good old days of slavery, sitting around the flesh pots, oh yeah, you did a lot of sitting around in those days, people. And that was some good beef stew. See, the minds were already playing tricks on them. They were thinking, well, you know what they were doing. They were distorting the past and the urgency of the present But God would provide. If you think about bread in Scripture, there are just lots and lots and lots of references. Think of one that has to do with Stones. You got it? Christ has not eaten 40 days and 40 nights. He is in the wilderness, in the desert, very much like the people of Israel were in the wilderness or in the desert. And he is tempted in ways that we can't imagine. For Satan comes to him and says, if you are who you say you are, if you are the Son of God... If you are the bread of life, turn these stones into bread that you might eat. Can you imagine? Stones to bread. Nothing of nutritional value for us to something life-giving. Jesus had a lot of experiences with bread. Think of those times when One day merged into another, and people were drinking and eating of the bread of life and the water that they would thirst no more from. They were getting spiritual input. They were listening to the teachings of Jesus on the mountain, but they did not have any food. And the disciples say, Master, the people must be terribly hungry. Translation, we're getting hungry. So selfless those people were, yes, just like you and me. And uh, Jesus says, yeah, you're right. They said, should we go to town and buy some food? No, they didn't say that, did they? Because they didn't have enough money to feed this many people. Instead, they said, what are we going to do? Let them go home, Jesus says. Well, will see what's available. And a couple small fish, a few loaves of bread turn into food for 4,000 and food for 5,000. You see the bread is multiplied to the point that basketfuls, seven in the feeding of the 4,000, and 12 in the feeding of the 5,000 are left over. Can you imagine leftovers from one lunch for a multitude? Jesus is making a point. And I am trying to, too. Elsewhere in scripture, Old Testament now, Elijah has some experience with bread, doesn't he? It's three years of famine, no rain, no crops, no grain, hence no bread. There is a widow he has chosen to impose upon for hospitality. She has a child. She's very poor. And when he approaches her and asks her to make him a cake, she explains that she cannot, for she was just getting ready to make her last meal for her son and her, and to await the starvation that was inevitable. You know the story. The prophet says, No, make me a cake, and then you will eat. What faith Elijah had! So she does. She makes the prophet a little loaf of bread. Probably kind of like a, probably like Indian bread, I'm guessing. Some sort of Middle Eastern bread, maybe. And he makes, she makes this for him. And uh, you know the story. She assumes it's all over. But when she goes back to her oil supply and her flour jar... There is still a little left. And she will use that, and there will still be a little left. And she will use that, and there will still be a little left. For the scripture says, Your bread and water will be sure. In the New Testament, in John, Jesus does something very interesting. If you look at John chapter 6, he has just fed the 5,000. And the leftovers have been gathered. And he has just walked on water. And in John 6.25 it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do you not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you? On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, "What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Don't you just want to fall over backwards?" I I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I would have been really sarcastic at this point. What am I going to do? Hmm. Five loaves and two fishes, five thousand people—you do the math. Uh, Anybody remember the other night walking on water? You ask how I got here? Think about it. I'm not Jesus. He says, they continue, Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth that it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. Wasn't that true? Bread from heaven never comes from a person. Moses may have prayed for it. Moses may have made the announcement. Moses may have been the prophet God communicated about the bread of heaven with. But I'll tell you what, it was from the Father. Jesus says, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they don't get it. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. It's Thanksgiving season, not too many days away. And as the children's story said, we will eat in remembrance and thanksgiving for God's blessings and in celebration. But just as bread is kind of the foundation of so many cultures and diets, one form or another, just as bread has become the core and key metaphor for sustenance and life, Just as bread is at the very root, the very heart of our experience in terms of our survival. So spiritually, Christ must be the same way. The center of our spiritual feast. The one on whom we attribute life to and coming from. The one of whom we eat. Jesus expressed it very clearly. My will is to do the will of the Father, and the Father's will is that I should lose none of you who He has sent to Me. Not one. But that you will see Me and will believe. For I am the bread sent to you from Heaven. In closing, one last... Bread reference, as Jesus is preparing to give himself as the sacrifice, the lamb that was slain, he again says of bread, this is my body, broken for you. And so quarterly, as we have communion, as we gather at the table, so to speak, as we engage the symbols of life and death and sacrifice and love and life eternal. The fundamental metaphor again is bread. So today as you go about your business, this week as you live and work and love, this week as you eat and sleep, and engage the rhythms of life, as you experience energy, as you interact, don't forget the bread of heaven. Don't forget that not only do you need three squares a day of nourishing sustenance and food, but remember that you need the bread of life. And the water from which you will never thirst every single day. For Jesus says to you, I am the bread of life.